This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the Independent Women's Forum, an educational 501c3 dedicated to developing and advancing policies that aren't just well-intended, but actually enhance freedom, choice, and opportunity. Learn more at iwf.org. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm Erica, your host, and today I'm talking with Erin Hawley. She is the wife of newly elected Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. She's also the author of a new book, Living Beloved, which she wrote after she had her two boys and is just an amazing, um, amazing book for moms that are looking for a little encouragement. She is also a lawyer, a law professor. She clerked for the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, John Roberts, and she also went to Yale Law School. So she's got a lot going on and she's a pretty smart lady. I just want to thank Erin for taking time out of her busy life (laughs) to chat with me today. Enjoy my conversation with Erin Hawley. It has been a little hectic, but um, but uh, filed the brief yesterday and did meet court, and so life is better today. <laughs> oh my goodness, just I can't even like with the kids and the job and the new stuff and the moving and the book and everything. Uh, you're just doing it all. <laughs> no, well, not really. <laughs> but, you're um, trying to do but it we're all. Surviving. Yeah, and I, I feel you. I I have been. Oh man, I've been super overwhelmed lately. Um, some not not the same stuff, but similar stuff since I have two little kids too. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, it's just it's hard because they're the most important things, but you have other things that are important as well. And it's, yeah, it's hard to manage it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you get the. Um, but by the way, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in because I'm going to do another um, intro, so they'll kind of already have been introduced to you. So we'll just we'll just start chatting, just like a Perfect. friendly convo. But I was going to say. I don't know if you get the uh, the mom guilt thing, but I sure do, and it has just been hitting me hard lately. Yes, it's, it's, it, absolutely. I think that hits uh, every mom, um, and maybe especially uh, working moms, although that, that may not be true either, because I think you want to give your kids the best and the best of your time and your energy, and regardless of whether we're working or not, there's just a thousand different uh, directions, other kids that are pulling you different ways, and so I think it's almost an inevitable part uh, of being a mom. And I think we have to maybe go back to that. God loves these little kids more than we do. And he has a plan for them, but it, it definitely is not uh, easy to uh, not feel that maybe even impossible. Yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. I think lately I've been learning that I can't control everything. And really like, I do have to have just leave some of it to God and just rec- recognize that he, like you said, he loves them even more than we do. So in a way, you know, we can't control everything. We kind of have to give up a little control, even as moms. Absolutely. Well, Erin, I, I already introduced you a bit at the beginning of the show, but I would love to just get your um, mini background from your lips. Um, tell us a little bit about you, where you come from. Tell us about your family and kind of your professional life right now. Sure. So I actually grew up on a ranch in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Wow. Um, it's an absolutely awesome way to grow up. We were Super about cool. an hour 
hour from the nearest grocery store. Um, if we bought ice cream, we actually had to take it cooler <laughs> so it wouldn't melt. That's um, crazy. So, so it's a wonderful way to grow up. And it's been such a special part to uh, be able to share that with our two boys uh, now. My mom is still on the ranch, still uh, runs the ranch and works on it. And um, so I get to take the boys uh, to see her and they play with the cattle and they interact. And it's just a wonderful place um, to be. And so from New Mexico, um, went to college and then law school um, and ended up meeting my husband um, while we were both clerking uh, for the chief justice, um, which was a super wonderful year. I learned a lot about the law, just about being part of the court and an institution um, that uh, is is part of our government and gave me a sense of uh, civicness and patriotism. It's just really kind of a wonderful feeling, um, as you know, to be part of something that's contributing um, to the public discourse and contributing to our government. Um, from there, practiced law, um, went to a law firm. Um, I've been a professor at the University of Missouri um, and also work with the Independent Women's Forum uh, on their policy uh, and legal objectives. So I, that you kind of answered my first question, which was I knew that you studied animal science in undergrad. And so I guess that kind of makes sense that you grew up in New Mexico on a ranch that you would then segue mm-hmm. to studying animal science in college. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So my mom's dream had always been uh, to be a vet. And I think I sort of uh, inherited that dream. And growing up on a ranch, I absolutely love animals and love agriculture and went to Texas A&M on a livestock judging scholarship, um, which was really wonderful. It paid for college and was able to uh, make good friends. And it made a really large campus uh, really small. Um, but in the midst of that, I discovered, I kind of knew, but discovered that I'm squeamish and that didn't <laughs> to be to be going away. <laughs> so, um, so I'd always been interested uh, in the law and especially how uh, environmental regulations and different uh, regulations impact um, the very real people that I knew and grew up with and worked with. And so I had an interest in the law and went, went to law school rather than vet school. So you kind of went to the cream of the crop of law schools, Yale Law School. Is that a big dream that you have? How did you end up making your way there? It wasn't at all. (laughs) So it's actually um, had to be God's hand because I wasn't even sure about law school at all. Um, And I was toying with the idea of law school. I took the LSAT and I visited with one of my advisors at Texas A&M and was also considering working under him to get a genetics PhD. I wish I would have really loved, um, but I actually got accepted to Texas. I just applied to a school, a few schools and got a scholarship to go to the University of Texas Law School and was visiting with him, and, and both his son and his daughter were lawyers, which was just uh, sort of a random coincidence, and my professor advised me, go to law school. It'll be a really unique, um, interesting experience. We'll substitute it for your master's, and then you could come back um, and get your PhD in just uh, a little over a year more, and it'll be this great experience. Um, So I went ahead and did that. Uh, And when I went to law school at the University of Texas, I just really fell in love. I was sort of the practice and application of law, how you sort of work with this this legal standard and apply it to to actual facts um, and real world world people. But I still had this interest in teaching. So there was a visiting professor, my contracts professor, who was just a wonderful person, a wonderful professor, and he knew that I had an interest in teaching. And he, he just advised me, you know, if you're serious about teaching, um, then you might want to look at a school or two, um, including Yale, because they have uh, just a great reputation uh, for turning out uh, future academics. Well, that's that's amazing that you went there. Yes. And there is where you met your husband. Is that right? 
That's right. We were. He loves to tell the story because I was a year ahead of him. Um, but I have to <laughs> quick, quickly point out that I'm not older. <laughs> You're like, I'm not uh, the older I, woman. No, I just got there faster. <laughs> um, so, um, but uh, but yes, we. Uh, I think we shared one class. We were in criminal procedure together, but did not um, otherwise interact very much. I knew who he was, um, but that was about it. And uh, then we ended up working the same year. Uh, for the chief justice. Now, how do you get to clerk for the chief justice of the Supreme Court? That seems like something not everybody gets to do. No, it was really just a wonderful and humbling um, opportunity and experience. And what the typical course is, is that you first work for an appellate judge. So I worked for a judge on the Fourth Circuit, a very well-respected judge. Um, and then that person can sort of give a recommendation um, to, to the justices and say, hey, this is someone you might really want to look at. Your professors can do that as well. Um, but there's, there's so many qualified people, and so it's just an honor um, to, to get to do that. And how long does the clerkship last? It's just a year. So it was started in July of 2007 and went through June of 2008. And that's part of, of graduating from law school is to have that? Well, you should, you, a lot, well, it depends on the type of law you want to practice. Um, but if you want to do appellate law, which is what I do, it's something you really hope to do. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a variety of different clerkships. You can work for like state Supreme Court judges or state appellate judges, uh, those sorts of things as well. And you have litigated before the Supreme Court, which is a big dream for a lot of people that are in law school right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? What was that like? Were you very nervous the first time? Sure. And now I should point out that I haven't argued there yet, as I hope to, um, but I have submitted a number of briefs um, to the Supreme Court. And it's it's really a neat and unique experience because you know that your former boss uh, will uh, possibly um, or likely, depending on the case, be reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just want to, you know, always when you file a brief, you want to make sure that you have dotted every I and crossed every T. Um, but it's uh, especially true um, at that court. Um, and especially true for former clerks, because it's not only um, their sort of professional reputation, um, but also their reputation uh, for people that they know and respect. Okay. Now, on the non-professional side, or, you know, kind of part professional side, you are a mom of two boys, Blaze and Elijah. And you recently wrote a book, Living Beloved, and that's based on your experience as a parent and what it taught you about God's love for us. Tell us about when that idea started to form. I mean, your kids are pretty young and the book has already come out. So you obviously started thinking about this like pretty soon after somebody was born. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually a long work in progress. So Elijah, our oldest boy, is six now. And after he was born, um, I was on maternity leave from my university job, um, but I didn't yet have tenure. Um, so I had this new baby. I had no idea what to do with him. I hadn't even really babysat um, yeah. before. <laughs> same. I had the same experience. Like very few diapers I had changed yes, before my son exactly. was born. Oh, and Elijah had asked reflux, so he cried a lot, and they were, I didn't know what to do. And so we walked up and down the stairs because that seemed to help. And every time he would nap, which is quite a lot when you have a newborn, but every right. time he would nap, I would work on my papers and. And try to do that and try to keep up um, you know, with friends and Bible studies and cooking and all of this stuff. And it just did not work. <laughs> um, it, was, it was too much and, and probably wrong, uh, just wrong priorities. And it pointed out to me um, just how much of my identity, I think, was just tied up in my performance and how well I was doing. And 
you can that in the past had been at work and in my professional career, but it translated just as much into being a mom. And so I was trying to be the perfect mom and still trying to be the perfect professor and get these papers written, trying to be the perfect wife and friend. And really just, uh, that was, that was a lot. Um, and I don't think at all watching, um, Elijah, uh, actually sleep in the middle of the night, you know, it was three in the morning, you just fed him and he'd gone back to sleep. And I think God just brought to my mind that, you know, I could have made this easy. God could have made babies that slept through the night from the beginning, yeah. um, but he didn't, <laughs> and, but he didn't. And so there has to be some reason and some purpose behind that. And at least for me, I think every mom has a different story, but at least for me, um, God kind of showed me their dependence and how um, utterly dependent they are on their moms for their food, for their comfort, for their very sense of identity and I think that's the same uh, sort of relationship we're supposed to have with God the Father. So we're supposed to get that identity from Him, not for how I'm doing as a mom or how I'm doing as a lawyer um, or any of those things. I'm supposed to depend on Him in the same way um, that a very small newborn uh, depends on his or her mom. So did you? So it was when Elijah was a baby. Did you start thinking? There are so many lessons here. Like, did you start writing them down? Did you at that point think that it could become a book? I didn't at all. So I was just kind of journaling. Um, and I'm not an avid journaler. Um, I just write notes. And lately, I've been just jotting them down actually on my iPhone as I think of them. Um, but I, I did just, I had several, several sort of random notebooks filled with scratchings and scribblings of sort of ideas as I had them. Um, and it wasn't until much later that there were sort of cohesive themes that sort of seemed to come out. Now, did you go um, get a book deal and then decide to write it? Or did you write it and then try to get a book deal? So I had I sort of started writing it, thinking more it would be just kind of devotional stuff for friends uh-huh. and family. Right. Um, and then I sat next to a book agent at a dinner, um, and he seemed interested in the project. And so I wrote a couple of chapters for him and sent that off. Um, so I had you know, written bits and pieces, but not the book before I got the deal. That's so interesting. I, I sat by a book agent the other day, and I, you know, obviously... I've, I have done the book thing, but you know, you're always mm-hmm. thinking what's the next step or whatever. And I did, I sat mm-hmm. by a book agent the other day and I was talking with her and I was like, oh man, she could be a good connection. I better save her card. But it's so kind of like fate, um, who you meet and who you're yes. s- sat next to. Was it, was it just a random thing where you just were like, oh, you're a book agent? No, it was, it was really neat. Actually. I went to this book conference and I'm part of a small group. It's called the Red Bed Writers Grill. You know, this um, lady was telling me about that and telling me I should join it. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. You totally should. There is a wonderful group of ladies. So they're Christian ladies and authors, bloggers, um, a lot of people at different sort of, um, places in their writing uh, career or journey, um, but just really warm and welcoming. Um, and I joined cause I would love to write devotionally at that time. Um, and they had this conference. It was just sort of their internal conference in Chicago, which was an easy flight from uh, Columbia, where we were at at the time. Um, and I went, and they had opportunities like to sign up to meet with agents or publishers and those sorts of things. But I didn't. I had no idea how the the sort of industry worked. So I met with I can't remember. I signed up to work with to meet with one publisher, maybe Tyndale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know you actually should probably have an agent first. Anyway, so so I didn't sign up to speak <laughs> with any agents, um, but I just happened to sit next to one um, at one of the dinners, um, which was really God's hand, I think. Um, that's, in that. that's so cool. And it's so true uh, that about not knowing anything about how books work before you do it. I definitely mm-hmm. didn't myself. And, I, you know, there's so many things looking back. I'm like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. But, but you ultimately signed mm-hmm. with Focus on the Family, right? I did, yes. 
Okay, cool. And so how long did it take from that moment where they said, hey, we're going to do this with you to, um, to actually getting it fully written and then out into the world? It wasn't very long, really. Probably about eight months, I think. I think I signed with Dylan in January or February, and it was published in October, so not, not super long. What was that like for you, putting it out there? I mean, you talk about some personal things in there, obviously just being a mom and your kids. Your, your kids um, are front and center. Um, what was it like putting your writing out there? Did you feel super vulnerable, or was it more like exciting and proud? Um, definitely vulnerable and scared. <laughs> so, um, yes, I do. Um, you know, talk about sort of some of my um, just difficulties as a mom, um, and then also some of the stuff our family went through uh, as we were growing up. And so I was um, actually very scared, not knowing whether I'd done the right thing at all by talking about any of it. Right. Um, and I think God really helped in two ways. One, I got to lead a women's Bible study just at our local church. And it was so refreshing to see how the women connected and related and just being honest about um, the sort of difficulties in my own parenting journey, I think was helpful to them. So that was, was super nice. And then the other thing that I did not expect and has been a tremendous blessing was that I got to talk to my dad's family um, about the book. I wanted to let them know that it was coming out and it shared a little bit um, of background. My dad was an alcoholic. And so it talked just a little bit about that. That's not the focus of the book, but it you know, very much impacts uh, who I am today. So the book touches on that. And I wanted them to know uh, that this uh, story about my dad was in there. And I was really, really nervous and scared to talk to them. But yeah. to, a, to a member, they were all gracious. And it was the first time I'd really spoken to any of them about my dad um, in a very long time. And it was just uh, sort of healing um, and wonderful. And it's, you know, this book is written for moms, but one of my cousins is a, he's actually a vet um, and you know, has vet sorts of friends. And he's been giving this book to all of his vet sorts of friends, which is just heartwarming to me that he's giving this mom book um, <laughs> to, to, to different, different vets around Texas. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it is for moms, but it's so relevant to any parent. I mean, I'll tell you, I loved reading it. Um, I was reading it sort of like a devotional style book in the mornings, kind of early in the morning before anyone got up. And it's just, it's a simple concept in a way, but like so hard to remember sometimes and, but so important, like just when, when you're having a hard time, I feel like it's just all the little concepts that you brought up in the book about how God sees us. Like all you have to do is look at your kids and see how you view them. And then remember that's how God sees you. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, and he does, he, we delight in our children just because they are, they don't have to do anything um, to please us. And I think the same is true. God looks at us and he's completely and utterly delighted with us. And that's something I can say, but it's still really hard to internalize. But I think we do get a picture of that in our own parenting. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, we will be linking the book everyone. So you can go buy it. Um, now the other side of your life, you have many sides to your life, <laughs> um, has been a little crazy recently. Um, for those that don't know, Aaron's husband, Josh Hawley, now Senator Josh Hawley, has just become Missouri's newest senator. So congratulations to you guys. I think that is so exciting. Um, how does it feel to be a senator's wife? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I just got here. <laughs> yes, 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 we just got here. And it has been the last couple of months have been a little chaotic. And we were talking as a family um, about, you know, Josh is obviously 
uh, very excited um, and humbled to serve Missouri and to represent uh, the people that elected him uh, and the people of state that he and we love. And we were trying to decide as a family, you know, where to be. Could we stay in Missouri in a place that we loved or should we move the kiddos? Um, that way we could actually see Josh and, and be a family together. Um, so we ended up moving. So life has been and a little bit chaotic uh, the last couple of months. Um, but the boys are getting settled in their schools. And it's really nice to be able to share sort of this part of uh, Josh's job and his service uh, with him. It's good to hear mm-hmm. about his days and, and what he's doing and, and in that way uh, truly be a family. So we're very excited about him. Um, I was really uh, personally excited that one of the things, um, his first floor speech um, was about uh, life and about children. Um, and I was just uh, so proud of him and uh, glad to see that. That's awesome. I will link that speech too if I can find it. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Now, did you guys decide to go into the city or did you do more of the suburban life thing? We did more of the suburban life thing, definitely. We've got two boys, um, four and six, and yeah, city life is probably not for them. The city would not still be standing. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I feel you. We, I mean, I don't live in D.C. I live in Indiana, but we definitely did also choose the suburban life just for many reasons, so I understand that. Now, um, speaking about Josh, did he always have this ambition? I mean, I think he was, yeah, he was, he was already involved in politics before this, but did he always have this kind of ambition to, to go bigger and, and to maybe even become a senator? Or was that something that kind of crept up unexpectedly? You know, he's always had an interest in, in policy and politics. I love the story. When he was, I think he was 12, but he was writing a political column for his local newspaper. Oh my gosh, <laughs> which that's is, so Which is cute. pretty incredible. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so he's always been interested in, in policy and politics and serving. Um, but I think the senator thing was more, um, that was not something that he or we were planning on, certainly not at this juncture. And um, we had planned and hoped to be in Missouri for a good while. Um, but uh, as we thought about it and prayed about it, it seemed like sort of a critical time um, for our country and an opportunity um, to be in a place where he could use, really be used by God. So, so this particular job, no, but certainly serving, yes. Now, when he started running, which I think, I mean, it's a couple years, really, once you put it all together and you get to election day, um, did you guys think, like, this could really happen, or was it more of a not likely in your heads? Well, that's really interesting. Like, a lot of, sort of, if you look at the election from a macro scale, with um, when one party's in the White House, and you have an incumbent senator from the opposite party, uh, as we did in Missouri then odds are that a challenger from the same party as the president will have a really hard time. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of, that's sort of the kind of the conventional wisdom is it's difficult to challenge uh, in an off year of a presidential election, um, someone uh, who is of the different party of the president and an incumbent. Um, but so, so we knew those sort of statistics um, and odds, but Missouri really, I think um, has been going in a di- different direction Um from sort of some of the, the policies and politics of the past in Missouri. So Josh saw an opportunity to say, hey, this is what I'm for. This is what I stand for. Um, I think this is what Missouri um, wants uh, as well. Um, and I'd appreciate your vote. And it was. And it was one of the most watched races of the of the midterms, really, because it was a, it was up there in the air. Like, people didn't know even the week of the election. Like, what are the polls mm-hmm. saying? And so election day for you guys, you went into that not actually knowing what was going to happen. So what was that That's- feeling like when, you, like when you knew, you found out, like, okay, we won this thing? 
So I'm super excited, really excited for Josh to serve. Um, also a little sad because um, I knew we would be moving. Um, so there's this tug of uh, emotions um, that really just kind of overwhelmed um, at the doors God had opened. Um, because it, as you said, the election was up in the year. It could have gone either way. Um, conventional wisdom would say it wasn't a good year to run um, as a Republican, um, which Josh is. So so very, very grateful. Well, that's very cool. And now I will, um, I don't always, you know, there's so many uh, people in the House and the Senate that sometimes I'm just like not as caught up on who's who and who's saying what. But like, because I know you and, and I know your story, I'm definitely going to be always tuned in to what Senator Hawley is doing in Missouri. <laughs> Well, thank you. I think I think you'll see, see good things. Now, one last question on that. What are some of the issues that he is focusing on and that he finds most important right now for both the state and the country? That's a great question, and I can't speak for him, but but my perception um, of what he's been been working on um, has certainly been the life issue. That's something that's very important to him personally. It's also very important in the state uh, of Missouri. Um, he's also was really excited about his committee's assignments. Um, so once, when you're elected as a senator, you sort of put in your preferences for committees, um, but it's up to the leadership and, and different senators as to, to actually what committees you get on. Um, and Josh is really interested in the Judiciary Committee. Um, as a former law clerk, uh, professor, uh, and lawyer, he thinks that um, the ju- judges that are confirmed are really important, um, as well as the other uh, constitutional offices. So he's super excited to be on the Judiciary Committee, and it's been really busy. Um, the administration has appointed a record number of appellate judges, um, and so he's uh, delighted to work on those issues uh, at the court. He's also on armed services and on homeland security, so really important uh, committees and issues uh, to our national security, uh, as well as our military families. Yeah, that that sounds really exciting, and I'm sure it's just a whirlwind moving into it all just so soon after the election. I um, wanted to ask you a question about you know, you are now kind of more in the spotlight as his wife. And, you know, as a, as, as a wife, you get, um, some leadership responsibility, um, not necessarily official, but you, um, have a say, like you can speak out on certain things. I mean, do you have anything in the works for yourself that you're wanting to advocate for in this position, um, as someone that may be invited to conferences or dinners or things like that? Is there anything that you're going to be focusing on? That's a good question, and I haven't picked a particular area um, yet. Um, I think um, my role at the moment um, is mostly to be a support to Josh mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of stability uh, for our two children as we transition uh, to this move. So my focus has been been mostly there. Well, that's um, a big, I mean, that's a big job too, of course, because he needs you to be there for him. And like, he, he's like people that are in, you know, really high kind of stress positions like that, like you've got to have like that backbone at home or, you know, you're not going to be able to do your job well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big job in and of itself. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of funner questions. And I sent these to you only five minutes before this interview. So I apologize. Um, and if you do not have an answer, that's my fault. So don't worry about it. And we, we can cut things. Uh, but um, the first question was, what's your best mom hack? And, and a mom hack is really something that you do with your kids to kind of like make your life easier or something that you do to um, kind of just get through it when things are tough sometimes with the kids. Do you have anything like that? So, yeah, that's a great question. And mine might 
seem a little strange to most people, but those with active children, especially active toddlers, uh, will understand. And it's to go swimming. Um, oh. One of our boys has has a hip condition, so certain exercises certain forms of exercise we need to avoid, but he can swim. And so on those long days, especially in the summer, when you get up at six and they go to bed at eight, you have got to fill it with some sort of physical activity mm-hmm. um, or else everyone goes crazy. And so I take them swimming <laughs> and we swim and we swim and we swim. And it was so funny because Josh would get home from campaigning or doing something um, and the boys would just be flat out exhausted. He would kind of laugh and say, what did you do? Swimming is exhausting. Yes. Like I yes. even remember that from being a kid myself. Like I remember just like going swimming and just being so tired and so hungry afterwards. Yes. And so they eat well and then they go to bed and it's quiet and wonderful. Oh my gosh. Yes. Getting, I don't know about yours, but man, I have a, the toughest time getting my three-year-old to go to bed. It's awful. Swimming. 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 We need to, that, actually, yes. we are about to start swimming lessons again. So that is a great, great excuse as it please get warmer, please get warmer soon. Um, so, uh, what is a daily habit or ritual that you do to keep yourself on track or at peace in your life? So some, something like potentially like, you know, I get up at five and, and spend 30 minutes in prayer and devotions, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I have this particular drink every single morning because it helps me feel Mm -hmm. like I'm getting a little treat Mm -hmm. to get the day going. Absolutely. Why well, I, I do try to get up. It doesn't always happen, um, especially uh, for any moms of little ones out there. It's particularly challenging. But if I can get up at least 30 minutes before my boys do, so that's usually about 5.30, maybe 6 if I'm lucky, um, and have even just 10 or so minutes um, where I can read the Bible and be quiet um, and pray, um, that really just helps orient my day. And I have a daily Bible reading program. I don't always get through it, but it's called the Bible in One Year, and it's a, an app, and it's uh, absolutely wonderful because it walks you through. There's a psalm or a proverb every day, part of the New Testament and part of the Old Testament. And I've done the same program for a couple of years now. So over the course of several years, I've read the Bible several times um, and just been amazed at sort of the richness. And even in the Old Testament, how much uh, of that uh, points to Jesus and is applicable um, mm-hmm. to our everyday lives. So, is that the so U version? U version app? Um, it's a B-I-O-Y, Bible in one year. Uh, okay. So it's from, yeah. Um, I'm doing one right now London. as well. It's probably very similar. I'm doing it through the mm-hmm. version. And and you're right. Um, it's so cool because rather than reading the Bible chronologically, which I have never even tried, <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. interesting because they really do connect it all back to Jesus. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense. Or like, oh, that foreshadowing or that prophetic word that was said. Um, in Job, I just finished Job and, um, it's a really cool way to read the Bible because otherwise us mere mortals have a hard time understanding everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. If you could have dinner with any celebrity, who would it be and why? This one's really hard. I had to think about this for a second, but I think it would be Ruth Bell Graham. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I could. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason is twofold. One, um, she had a husband whose heart uh, was for serving the Lord, and that heart um, and his calling took him all over the world. Um, so he traveled um, extensively. They had, I believe, five children, um, and I think she stayed home in North Carolina with the kids while he was was going and doing, and then later uh, in life was able to go with him more. But I would just love to pick her brain. And that's um, Billy Graham's wife for those listening, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yeah. thank you, yes, yes. Um, and so, you know, she was obviously a tremendous support and asset to his ministry, um, but she also had her own ministry. She was a prolific uh, writer, um, which I love to do. I find so much encouragement um, when I when I write, and I imagine that she is similar in that. So I'd love to hear both how she 
um, was able to thrive um, and encourage her husband um, as well as uh, live out her own calling. That's a good answer. Yeah, she would be a really fascinating person to talk mm-hmm. with. I agree. Uh, have you read any good books, listened to any good podcasts, or watched any TV shows you could recommend? Any of the three that you <laughs> could? I know you don't have time for that, but maybe you have. I always have a stack of books on my shelf, and they're in you know various stages of you know first page to third chapter to, <laughs> right. to not even open yet. Um, but I think one of the best books I've read recently, um, it's kind of an old favorite, but I reread it, um, is by Eugene Peterson. And mm. I just love everything that man has ever written. Um, and he, he passed away um, a couple of months ago yeah. now. Um, but he was a pastor and wrote the message version, the translation of the Bible, and prolific pastor, and sort of had a ministry of ministering to pastors, which I thought was really cool. But he has this book called Running With Horses, and it goes through uh, the Old Testament book of the Bible, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, I guess, was a sort of personal hero of Eugene Peterson's and how he sort of modeled his life. Um, but I love sort of, he calls the, Jeremiah calls the Israelites who were then in exile to sort of embrace life, to uh, marry and have children, to build houses, um, to garden and to eat and just embrace the life that they were living. Um, even if it's not, um, the life that they had thought they'd been. So I think that mm-hmm. is a particular call to all of us in whatever situation it's, that we are in. It's where God has called us and we have a duty and responsibility and can find joy um, in living that life today. So true. Now you are probably the third person on this podcast that has told me I need to read Eugene Peterson. Of course I knew who he was and I knew he wrote the (laughs) message, but somehow I've come all these years of my life without ever reading any of his books. So this is like a message. I need to go (laughs) get something of his. I'll I'll send you with Running with Horses. It's my favorite book of of all time. Oh, well, then I I mean, if if somebody (laughs) says a book is their favorite book of all time, like I take that very seriously. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, last question. And this is so big. It's such a big question, but I think it's interesting to hear what people say. What is some advice or message that you would want to pass down to your children if you could just have one, maybe one thing or one sentence <clears throat> for them to take with them as they grow up? Uh, that's such a, such a good question. And I think part of uh, what I learned through writing and through my kiddos um, was just how important our identity is in uh, Christ. And I love when um, Jesus was baptized by John, um, you know, Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the you know, wonderful healer and counselor. Um, but when he's baptized, God introduces him uh, to the world. He introduces him to the world that he would save. And what he says is so fascinating. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he doesn't use, you know, any of those names, any of those titles, you know, savior, uh, Messiah, um, any of those things, he just says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. And I just love that. And I hope that my boys can just internalize in their own hearts um, that they are beloved sons and that we are beloved daughters um, of a God who loves us because we are um, and not because we do. And that doesn't excuse us from doing. God calls us to do things um, in this world and, and to be part of it and to be active. Um, but that our identity, our, our core identity is first as beloved sons and daughters. That's pretty good. And then you named your book after that. So that makes a lot of sense. All right, Erin. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk with me today. Really appreciate it. 
I hope that we can, I know we've met in person, but it was before we actually spoke, like, because <laughs> we've yes. done, an, we did another interview for IWF, and now we're doing this interview, so now I feel like I actually know you, so I hope that I can see you at some point in the future. I was hoping that maybe I would run into you at the uh, the National Prayer Breakfast. Did you go to that? You know, I didn't. The State of the Union had been the Tuesday, and you know, we're just figuring out childcare and right. all of that, so I was not, was not able to go on Thursday. Um, but, but I heard it was wonderful and I'm so glad you were there. I saw your piece on it, which was really, yes, it was super, it was really cool. I felt pretty honored that I got to go because the, at, at least for, um, those of us that are not working in politics and government, um, or at least directly, uh, you have to get, you know, a ticket, you have to be invited. And so I was like, Oh, I feel very special. I got actually invited to this thing. So it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was a very cool experience. So, um, well, then I will plan to see you at some point in the near future in D.C., and um, I'll let you go. But thank you so much for, for talking with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and um, I hope to see you soon. Bye. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you are enjoying the podcast, if you've listened to this episode, I would love it if you could just head over to iTunes, leave me a quick rating and review. It really helps people, more people see the show, and I know that there are some great interviews and some good encouragement on here that a lot of people could use. So I appreciate your help in that regard. All the things you talked about today will be in the show notes. You can find those at ericaanderson.com. And I look forward to chatting with you next Tuesday on Worth Your Time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.